Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. All right, we are starting a new series in the Gospel of John, and I'm going to be jumping around a bit today. Um, not only in John, but a couple other books uh, in the New Testament. Uh, but if you're following along on page 886 in your Pew Bible, uh, we're going to take a look at John's introduction of the ministry of Jesus. And so I want to take a look at verse 16 again, in case you missed it. John 1, 16. For from his fullness, this is talking about Jesus Christ, we have all received grace Upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, what we see is that John's introduction to the mission of Jesus is not one where Jesus is demanding people to follow rules or to prove their worth, because we can never follow enough rules and we can never prove our worth. It's not a gospel that is asking for your credentials before he lets you in. Instead, what this does, it reveals God's desire to pour out his inexhaustible grace to a thirsty world. And the Message Bible actually translates this section, verses 16 and 17, is that Jesus is offering an inexhaustible gift after gift after gift. You're going to hear me say today, Jesus' mission is to give you and me grace upon grace upon grace. That's what this good news is about. Henry Nouwen asks this question, how would you define yourself? Perhaps by what you do. I'm a doctor. I'm a, I'm a parent. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm an artist. I'm an activist. I'm a fashion model, some of us could say, right? Or do you define yourself by what you have? I, I have a degree from the greatest university in the entire world, UCLA. My wife would say, not true. Yeah. SC, she would say, fight on. Or I define myself by what I have, an athletic body, which I used to have 30 years ago. Or I have a winning lotto ticket. I'm going to have a lot of money. You can define myself by what I have, a lot of resources. Or, now when asked, would you define yourself more by what people say about you? Oh, she's smart. Oh, well, he's very attractive. Oh, they're lazy. Oh, or something I heard consistently throughout my attempts at dating people, he's too short for me, okay? How do you define yourself? Is it by what you have, what you do, or what people say about you? That's my question for you today. And so now one goes on and says that most human beings do define themselves by those three things. So I ask you today, as you sit here, how do you define yourself? Because the gospel wants you to define yourself by this grace upon grace, upon grace. You know, when the search committee that, that found me uh, was interviewing me, they asked me to describe myself. And so, of course, I wanted to be, you know, super positive about myself. And I gave them a, a short 20 pages, single space typed, in response to their questions. They had a lot of questions. And so one of the questions, he said, well, describe yourself with some phrases. And so, you know, I was thinking, oh, I want to say I'm a great teacher. Or I'm, I'm a great leader, right? You want to do all these things. But I took the risk, and I ended it after I stated some kind of normal stuff. I said, you know what? If I had to really describe myself, I'm a beloved child of God. Had nothing to do about my performance. 
I took a risk to say, you know, this is really when it comes down to it. This is really the most important defining characteristic about me. I'm a beloved child of God. I'm an adopted child of the Heavenly Father. See, Christ has secured my place with him for eternity, and he is pleased with me simply because of his inexhaustible grace upon grace upon grace. That's what defines me. And each of us are tempted like Jesus was tempted in the desert before he started his ministry to define himself by the way that Satan wanted him to be defined. Do something impressive, Jesus. Show us what you're made of, Jesus. But Jesus refused. And instead, he remembered the voice of the Father recorded in Matthew 3.17. Before he goes to the wilderness, before, before he goes and starts his ministry, the voice of the Father says this about Jesus, which I believe identified Jesus' ministry. He said this, the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus did anything, the Father declares his pleasure in him. Not one sermon, not one blog, not one book he wrote, not one healing. The Father says, I'm well pleased, not based on what Jesus the Son did, but on who he is. That's true for Jesus. Guess what? He gives that same identity to you. You are a beloved child of God. Let that sink in. That Jesus knew he was loved before he did all the miraculous stuff. He knew he was secure in the love of the Father and the Son and the, of the Spirit. And so each day I pray I don't forget who I really am. That God's call in me was not to perform for him or to prove my love to him, but to simply receive his love and to rest in his grace. And so the first I am statement in the Gospel of John, we'll be studying for the next several weeks, I want to make a case that Jesus knew that he could say this, I am the beloved son of God, before he made all the other great I am statements. So this is really kind of a, today is a long introduction to our series in the Gospel of John. So what I wanted to do is to give us a picture of the uniqueness of John's Gospel before we go into this whole series the next several weeks. So to tell you about John, the book, John, the author, John, this disciple, I want to remind you that the three first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptics. Now that comes from this word, this combination, this Greek word syn, S-Y-N, meaning together, and optic, you know what that means, meaning seen. Synoptic thus means seen together. So much so that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 80% of Matthew's content can be found in Mark or Luke. And then when you take a look at Luke's content, 65% of Luke's content can be found in Matthew or Mark. And then if you take a look at Mark, 97% of Mark's content can be found in Matthew or Luke. The synoptics means they share a lot of the same content, a lot of the same stories. You can easily see how they're grouped together. John's gospel stands out, or what academics called the Johannine Gospels. That's a $90,000 word I spent to go to Fuller Seminary. The Johannine Gospel stands out apart from the synoptics. Now, it's literary style. The author himself makes it unique. So listen to this. Nearly 90% of John's material that we'll be studying the next several weeks cannot be found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. 
That's how unique John's gospel is. Now, the four gospels don't contradict each other. You've heard me say that before. But John's gospel in particular gives us unique perspective on the life and ministry of Jesus. And so John, as a disciple and an apostle, and we believe John as the author of this book, he had this mandate to testify to what he had seen, to what he had heard, to what he had experienced. And so, in fact, we see the essential requirement for apostleship actually was being an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. So I want to keep in mind as well that when you read the Gospel of John and you actually see the name John in the writing, it's not referring to John the Apostle, John the Evangelist, John the Disciple, John the Author. It's referring to John the Baptist, or you'll hear me call him John the Baptizer sometimes as well. So he's never mentioned himself, John the Evangelist, John, the author, does not name himself in the book. And so the theory is, is actually it was kind of an author's technique to hide his identity within the book by not naming himself. He alludes to himself in the book, but never specifically names himself as the author. And in fact, John refers to himself by this phrase, as the one that Jesus loved. He said it several times. And in John 21, 20 is the last time he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. What a special term for a special disciple who spent so much time with Jesus that he actually took on the same identity as Jesus, as the beloved of God. That John, the writer of this book, knew himself as I am the beloved disciple of God. Now, When we take a look at today's message, it's this long introduction into these I am statements that we're going to be studying the next several weeks. I don't want you to miss the fact that before Jesus did or said anything significant in his public ministry, he knew himself as the beloved. If you hear anything today, I want you to hear that. If Jesus chose to see himself as that before he did ministry, before he lived out his public ministry before the world, how much more do you How much more do I need to know that I am the beloved of God? He knew himself as the beloved. Brennan Manning comments on this section. He says, Jesus' closest friend on earth, the disciple named John, identified as the one Jesus loved, a phrase found six times in John's gospel. If John were to be asked, what is your primary identity in life? He would not reply, I am a disciple, I'm an apostle, I'm an evangelist, I'm an author of one of the four gospels, but rather I am the one Jesus loves. I'm beloved. So we're going to be looking at the significance of Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And before he said any of those things, he knew himself first as I am the beloved Son of God. I'm making the case that the first I am isn't even written in the Gospel of John, that Jesus knew I am the beloved Son of God. How about you? Does grace infuse your life? Does grace upon grace upon grace, your primary identity, or do you fall into the temptation to identify yourself by what you do, what you have? or what people say or think about you, what defines you. The story goes about uh, Valentine's Day. The legend is that 
Saint Valentine was beaten with stones and was clubbed and finally beheaded, guess what, on February 14, year 269. That's exactly how we celebrate it, right, in, in the United States. And then the year 496, February 14, was named as a day of celebration in Valentine's honor. And so the legend goes that Valentine became friends with the daughter of his captor because he was in prison. And just before he was executed, Valentine healed the blind daughter of his jailer, restoring her vision, this dazzling act of love for an enemy. And on the day of his his execution, he left the jailer's daughter a note, signed, the legend goes, your Valentine. Isn't it amazing how we take such a powerful gospel story about the grace upon grace upon grace, and we make it about chocolate-covered strawberries, right? But the story's there, and the story's in you, that you are a beloved child of God. Nothing you did earned this grace. It's a grace upon grace upon grace that has been gifted to you. That jailer was the recipient of this grace upon grace upon grace. And so are you, children of God. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you've repented from your sins, if you've responded to Jesus' initiation of love, you are a child of God. I want you to turn me to Ephesians 1, 4. I'm going to help you find that. In your house Bible, page 976. And let's read Ephesians 1, verses 3, 4, 5, 6. Let's go to 7, even. I want you to hear these words of Paul and how they tie into the mission of Jesus is grace upon grace upon grace. The great I am, whose first I am was I am the beloved. Listen to this Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's that word. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is a great passage. It says that he chose us in Christ. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. And so at the heart of Paul's message to the Christians in Asia, we need to realize is that they were specially chosen by God that they were adopted into the family, not based on their efforts or their worthiness or their resume. It was gifted. It was a grace upon grace upon grace. And so though we don't have time today to discuss the big theological words like predestination and election. We can know that Paul's sole impetus here in writing this letter to those Christians was to encourage them, these believers, to remember the depth of God's love towards them and that God had chosen them. And because God had chosen them and because it was before the foundation of the world, it certainly wasn't based on anything good they did. And if it wasn't based on anything good they did, that means they can't lose the love because they can't outsin God's grace. They're secure. That's a word for you today, too. 
God had chosen them. It's not an accident. It's not pity. It's gifted grace from God. Now, I know this might be hard to imagine, but when I was a little kid, I wasn't the most popular kid. I know. Amazing, right? I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. Uh, and when you're not that popular, you know it, especially when even your imaginary friends don't want to play with you. So I remember at some point in my youth, in all seriousness, I made a list of things that people, uh, I long to hear people say, you know, like on the playground. It's, I long to hear people say, I'll pick Tim first. Never heard that on the playground. Um, uh, or uh, as I got older into my teen years, I never heard this from a, a nice young lady. Yes, I'd love a second date. That wasn't something that I heard, okay? Now, I say that in all seriousness because that actually sent me on a mission. And that mission of not being chosen and not being noticed, I wanted to prove to people that I was worth choosing. Does that make sense? I wanted to prove to my life that I was worth seeing, that they would regret ignoring me because I was going to make something of myself. I remember that line from comedian Rita Rutner. She says this. She says, I always wanted to be somebody, but now I realize I should have been more specific. <laughs> I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to prove to people I was worth noticing. I was worth choosing. I wanted to prove to people by what I had. Or I wanted to hear people say nice things about me. I wanted to get the praise of people so that I could feel good about myself and my life. I wanted to be somebody. So I tried a lot of different things that felt important. I tried to work hard at different things to achieve. But no matter what I achieved, and I did achieve some things, I wanted to achieve more. Surprise, surprise. No matter how much praise I've received, I actually got hungrier for more praise. It grew. The hunger grew for more. It was insatiable because I needed more to make myself feel good about myself. And then amidst a deep depression, as I've mentioned before, at a desperate point in my life, God spoke to me. And it wasn't an audible voice, but I heard something like this, God saying to me that he called me his beloved, that he told me that he chose me and wanted me to be adopted into his family. And so I said yes. I said yes to him. Because you see, to be beloved is to be chosen and adopted into God's family. And so I ask you today, have you said yes to God's invitation to be adopted into his family? It's not based on what you've done well. It's not based on what you've done wrong. It's simply based on a gift of grace to you, to me. But you do need to say yes. I turn away from trying to define myself by all these other things to fill my soul, this insatiable soul, and it'll never be enough. And the invitation is to say yes to Jesus. Yes, I give up trying to make myself feel lovable and, and, and strong and popular or smart or important. I give up. I repent. I turn away from that. I give up and I turn to you, the source of grace upon grace upon grace. I surrender to you. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You just need to say yes. And then you realize, wow, I was chosen before I ever even knew it. What a gift. To be beloved is to know you're chosen and adopted. Ephesians 1.4 says that you are the beloved. We want everyone in this room to be able to say that before they leave today. I am the beloved. I am chosen. I say yes to Jesus. 
Now, we're entering the season of Lent, as you heard us talk about the season of six weeks from Ash Wednesday to Easter. Now, so this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We hope you come, 7 a.m., 12 p.m. Hope you stay or come back for 6 p.m. prayer time. We'll be doing every Wednesday night during the season of Lent. Now, Lent, I need to tell you, including Ash Wednesday, it's not in the Bible. But for 2,000 years, Christians practice this season, taking 40 days before Easter, this great idea, before all the marshmallow bunnies and all the wonderful brunches, to take 40 days of focus on the reality that we needed Easter, that we were desperately steeped in our brokenness, in our sin, and without the grace upon grace upon grace of Jesus, we'd be lost. So I love the fact that for 2,000 years, Christians have been taking 40 days to reflect on our need for God's grace, that I can't earn my way or impress my way into heaven. And so that's where when we engage in this Lenten season, you'll hear people talk about giving up something for Lent, right? I'll give up coffee, I'll, I'll give up um, cookies, I'll give up sugar, or I'll give up paying taxes, whatever it is, right? They try to make their jokes. And these practices that we do during Lent often are giving up something. That this is a fasting, right? That's only one type of thing you can do during Lent is fasting. You can also not only give up something, but you can add on something good during Lent. You can add on things like prayer, add on things like Bible study or being more generous, add on celebration, add on meditation on God's word, add on journaling, add on serving, add on silence. You see, Lent is not just a season for us to give up something. It's also a chance to add something to remind us as we converse with Jesus for these 40 days, that he gave everything so that we could be the beloved. That's what Lent is about. And I love what one writer says, we have these 40 days to converse with Jesus and to savor his resurrection. Oh, I love that. To really let it sink in. Now, so our church is doing something different this year during Lent. Not only are we having a 7 a.m., 12 p.m. Ash Wednesday service to remind us of our need for God's grace upon grace. Not only are we doing these weekly Wednesday night prayer times, we invite you to that. But we're actually going to invite you to fast from something in order to give something. So for an example, I'd love for us to think about challenging ourselves for once a week, instead of paying for that $5 fancy cup of coffee, and some of you, if you're honest, $7, right? That for six weeks, you'll give it up one time a week and collect that money and you'll save it up and you're going to help buy a new suitcase for a kid in the foster system who right now is using a trash bag and it makes him feel like trash. He doesn't even have a bag to his name. Would you consider fasting from an expensive cup of coffee once a week for six weeks that you could buy a bag for a kid who doesn't even know that he's loved? Would you consider maybe uh, giving up a dinner once a week, a $20 dinner, okay? Most of us know it's sometimes $35, right? Whatever it is, once a week for six weeks, add up all that money, get together with your small group and buy an infant car seat for an infant in the foster care system who's born to a drug addict who doesn't even have a way to get home from the hospital because there's no car seat for them. Can you see how our, our fasting from something actually is a gift to someone else? 
as we savor the resurrection, as we savor the idea that we've been given a grace upon grace upon grace, the most natural thing we want to do is to bless someone else, that they might know one day that they too are loved by God, and they too one day might say yes to the invitation to be adopted into the family of God forever. What if we looked at the 40 days of Lent and not some ritual or some, something that is uh, just religious, but actually an opportunity to savor the resurrection that came from this grace upon grace upon grace. And as we give up something practically, we can practically give something as a sign of this grace to a world in need, to hundreds of foster care kids in the system, these who are left with no one to love them often. Home to home to home, the most desperate of situations that we might give a glimmer of hope, a little tiny taste of the goodness and grace of God. Are you starting to see Lent a little differently now? A chance to fast so that someone else can feast on the love of God. There are hundreds of kids in our community who don't know yet that they too can be called the beloved child of God. And maybe this is one practical way to point them to the Savior that we worship. See, as beloved children of God, shouldn't our most natural inclination be to bless others? Shouldn't that be what we most naturally want to do? Because we know that we're not defined by what we do. We have this inexhaustible grace upon grace upon grace, and then we overflow and we share this love to a world in need, then we get real practical. We share this love to a neighbor, to someone right in our own community who may not yet know that they are invited to say yes to the invitation to be adopted into the family of God. You see, Lent is a season to repent from forgetting whom and whose we really are. Lord, forgive me for forgetting that I am, first and foremost, a beloved child of God. 40 days to, to fight against a temptation to define ourselves by what we do, by what we have, by what people say about us, but define ourselves by simply the voice of the Father saying to us, you are my beloved child. Spend 40 days doing that, fasting from these other things that try to get us to define ourselves by other things that never last. Spend 40 days adding on this reality of God's word, meditating on the reality of the beloved child. Jesus poured out his blood to cleanse me from sin, and that makes me immeasurably valuable. He chose to do this for you and for me. And because of all he's done for me, I don't have to share God's love. I want to share God's love as I soak in the reality. I'm a beloved child of God, chosen before the foundation of this world. This is how Jesus chose to define himself before he went out and did his public ministry. See, the I am statements of Jesus we're going to be studying for the next several weeks, but I wanted to pause this week as a long introduction to remind you of Jesus himself who heard the voice of the Father at his baptism in Matthew 3, where the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And to the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane, he heard the Father's voice again. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. That from the beginning of his ministry, the end of his ministry, Jesus knew the one of the critical I am statements, I am the beloved son of God. 
Jesus could say, I am the beloved, before he ever said, I am the bread. And so before we study these I am statements, these beautiful, beautiful statements the next several weeks, let's remember that Jesus himself could say that before he did all the other important stuff. And so as recipients of God's grace upon grace upon grace, we too are the beloved children of God at the core of who we are, not by anything else. In Victor Hugo's novel, Les Mis, and the Broadway show, the main character, Jean Valjean, if you remember, serves 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread, this incredible injustice. And 19 years in prison under this great injustice forged bitterness in him. And after Jean Valjean's release from prison, this bitter ex-prisoner comes to the home of a kind bishop who serves Valjean a meal using his best silver for this ex-convict. And he gives him a bed for the night. That evening, a desperate Valjean steals the bishop's silver, but he's caught once he leaves the home. And he's brought back to the bishop by the police, and Valjean is expecting the worst. But instead, he hears the bishop say, oh, no, I gave the silver to Jean. Oh, my friend Jean, Jean, you forgot the candlesticks. And he sent him on his way. The bishop's extraordinary kindness produced a shocked Valjean who deserved the justice of going back to prison. But it brought Valjean, as we see later into the story, to true repentance. An act of unmerited favor, unearned grace, moved Valjean to change his life. This is what God is like. Romans 2.4 says it, it proclaims in Romans 2.4 that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's initiation first, reaching out to us, that stirs in us to say yes to becoming a child of God, to say yes to our true identity, to discover that he chose us before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says, that God extends grace prior to us saying yes. And so one of the essential things that God wants you to grasp is the idea of this grace upon grace upon grace. You didn't earn it. It's a gift. And the Bible says that he has chosen to extend his kindness toward you even though you don't deserve it. And that's really good news. Jesus, the great I am, he stands at the door and he knocks and he says, will you let me in? He wants to be invited in so that you can discover that you are an adopted member of his family. And for all who will say yes to this invitation, God the Father, yes, adopts him in. And this reality that he chose you before the foundation of the world, even though he knew you would be scarred and imperfect, he chose you. And so my invitation over these next several weeks as we study these great I am statements is an invitation, especially during Lent, That you could say with Jesus and could say with John, the disciple, I am the beloved child of God. I will not let anything else define me. I will believe who he says I am, eternally secure. The Bible says that nothing can snatch us out of the Father's 
hand. That means that you cannot outsin God's grace. You're secure. But because you're secure, that doesn't mean you do the holy huddle and keep all of God's grace to yourself, grace upon grace upon grace. It's so much grace, it's meant to flow through you to bless others. And so we invite you these 40 days of Lent to remember who you really are. I am the beloved child of God. And remember, there's a whole world in need that needs to experience this grace too. And that you get a chance to overflow to kids in need. To kids who don't even know they're valuable enough as they get shipped from home to home to home that they would get a glimmer of God's grace. That one day that maybe they would know of this inexhaustible grace upon grace and say yes. And to the true adoption, the final and ultimate adoption to God's family. You could be a part of that, friends. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that we get to soak in the reality, yes, that you are the bread of life, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you are the resurrection of life, that you are the great I am. That is your great and beautiful name, God himself. And yet you, Jesus, you humbled yourself. You didn't hold on tightly to the rightful title as the king. You took on the form of a servant, and you came on a mission of grace upon grace upon grace, that you would save us out of this false sense of trying to prove ourselves to the world that we're valuable, and you're whispering in our ear, you're already valuable in my sight. Say yes to me. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who has not said yes to you in your invitation, that you would stir their hearts in mine, and they would repent and turn away from trying to define and prove themselves valuable by any other way except by your love, your grace. And Lord, may we receive it anew for those who have said yes to you already. Receive it anew. May we spend the next 40 days and, and nights in this season of Lent, the season of prayer, the season of remembering who we really are in you. And as we soak up that reality, God, would you pour through us to a world in need, specifically to hungry and hurting and rejected kids in our own neighborhoods right now that we would give up something that they could be blessed and they may know your love. Oh, Jesus, may we know that we are so beloved, that we have so much to share in you. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.